This is episode number three, and today we're reading the third chapter. Third chapter goes from page 27 to page 37. Enjoy. G'day folks, welcome to the Crashing In Potential podcast. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about resilience. That is getting back up after you have been knocked down. My name is Scott B. Harris, and I'm the author of the book, Crashing Into Potential, Living With My Injured Brain. It's a memoir that I have written and published that outlines my story of resilience after a major motorbike accident that nearly took my life. This podcast is designed to take what's inside of me and bring it out so that you can feel motivated to crash into your own potential. Brace yourself, because the podcast is about to start. Hi everyone, welcome back. Hope you've had a great week. Uh, I first off just want to apologise for the page numbers because I keep forgetting to uh, mention the page numbers as we go along. Uh, I'll try and remember as many as many as I can this this episode. Now, with the help of editing tools, I'm able to edit this podcast quite a bit. So. My reading skills don't sound like they're actually too bad when I listen back to the previous episodes. I don't have any, yeah, I don't have any any intonation in my voice, and I don't have any expression in my voice. But it seems that I can I can read quite a bit without stopping. Now, when I read, uh, this takes this takes uh, this last episode took me hours to edit because I had to edit out so many things. So many pauses, so many ums, so many ahs, and so many repeated words. So my goal in this podcast, and you may not be able to, well, you probably won't be able to see it, is just to be able to read consistently for a long period of time. And that's without having a break. At the moment, I'm up to about, I can read maybe about three to four sentences uh, without before, before, either taking a big pause or getting lost in my words or or mucking something up. So that's that's and that's why it's taken me such a long time to edit because I'm basically editing uh, sentence by sentence. So my goal here uh, is to in the end be able to read constantly without having to edit any of it out. So let's see how we go. First off, I want to show my gratitude for you taking the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say. Time is the most precious resource that we can't ever get back. No one can get time back. So once we've used it, that's it. It's gone. So I really appreciate it when you take the time out of your day to listen to what I have to say. Um, It really means something to me. So thanks. So here we go for chapter number three. This chapter is called Moving Into Rehab. And it's on page 27. The quote that goes with this chapter is, You are now a lot more impatient in that you need things done straight away. That was from my brother Brett. On the 10th of December, I was moved like a piece of valuable cargo from the Royal Melbourne Hospital to Epworth Rehabilitation Centre in Camberwell. As it turned out, this became my home for the next six months. It was common knowledge by now 
that I had had a severe, I had had severe brain damage. I was taken to the acquired brain injury unit, which was the most serious part of the hospital. Most people who entered that, those gates had been in a serious accident, often involving a vehicle on the road. By this stage, it was becoming apparent to my immediate family that I might never gain the independence that is mandatory to being a grown-up. But I was determined to give it all I had. If I was ever going to gain the ability to live an independent life again, this was the place to learn how. Within the walls of Epworth Rehabilitation. Around the same time as my admission, an older gentleman settled in too. He was 70 years old and had been hit by a car while riding his pushbike. To be riding a pushbike on the road at 70, he must have been at the top of his game, but age definitely wasn't on his side. He had suffered head trauma and it was quite sad knowing that, the most, that most likely he would never snap out of his oblivious state. The older you get, the less chance you have, the older you get, the less chance your brain has to recover. But for me, being only 23 meant there was high hopes. You can never recover fully from an injured brain like mine, but fortunately I was in the best environment with the best people to teach me how to live with my disabilities. People who have been in a serious motor, people who have been in a serious accident, or just concussed from a knock to the head, will likely be in a state of post-traumatic amnesia. PTA is a system recovery that your brain goes through after a head injury, and the amount of time that you spend in that state will reflect the damage that has been done. It will also determine the chances of getting back in the game. I don't remember much from this, this time, but while I was back in the Royal Melbourne Hospital, I can clearly recall the feeling when I removed a tube from my mouth. It was one of the many keeping me alive, but I obviously got sick of it. Although I, was, although I wasn't conscious, there was something tickling my throat. To scratch it, I discovered that all I had to do was pull on the thing that was coming out of my mouth. Well, that thing was a tube, and it wasn't just in my mouth. It was all the way down my throat. I say tube, but I don't know which tube it was because I attempted to get them all out at one point or another. I pulled it out a bit, and it kept coming, so I kept pulling. Eventually, it came out. I can remember it felt like a rat crawling up my insides. Another memory was to do with the catheter tube the tube that helped me go to the bathroom. The way a catheter works is that it gets fed into your bladder and to, to stay in and to stay in, it expands at the end so it cannot be removed. Well, I proved that wrong. I found it so annoying that I removed it twice. Along with Jacqueline feeding me, 
These were the only things my brain held on to. The recovery mode, the recovery mode in PTA requires very low stimulate, stimulus environment with no TV, no friends and no chance of making any funny gags. My inner tribe, as I call my immediate family, were the only visitors I was allowed and they were told there was to be minimal stimulation to my brain. I do, however, remember laughing uncontrollably at things a 23-year-old shouldn't laugh at. Fits of laughter are common, a common occurrence. Fits of laughter are common occurrence with a brain injury. Even today, I cannot control my laughter, which can sometimes be very inappropriate and and come out and come out at the wrong times. I slip back into my old immature laughing fits every now and then. But this is something that I have been mindfully trying to fix for years. This is page 29. One little fart. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> One little fart and I lose it. <laughs> That was Jasmine. She knows how immature I am. <laughs> there is no coming back from this. <laughs> oh my god. There's a maturity right there. I'll put a um there's a video that I've got of me having a laughing fit when I was in PTA in hospital. I'll put that in the show notes for the day. There is no coming back from that. Is this the injured brain in mind or the young boy in me? I'm not sure if my family and I laughed at the things that happened because they were genuinely funny or because everyone was just happy I was alive. Dad had recently retired from work and his big plan had been to set off and enjoy his retirement. That was before his world went back 23 years and he found himself caring for a fully grown infant. While relearning how to live, I was like a kid maturing all over again. As a father of three adult children, the last thing Dad could imagine doing was wiping his 23-year-old son's ass. But this just had to be done, and no questions asked, Dad put, his, put up his hand and took one for the team on that job. As I said, I don't remember much from this time, but luckily I've always had my parents around so that they could remind me exactly what happened. The emails dad wrote and that I could would read later definitely were a factor in helping me solve this 1000 piece jigsaw puzzle. On Thursday the 11th of December 2008. This is another email. Hi all. Progress continues. Language yesterday was a couple of whispers, whispered words. Today, short sentences with humour attached. E.g., Deb and I were visiting and Scott's sister and husband had arrived for the tag team. Talking to Nicole, I asked how she was, to which she politely responded with, Yeah, I'm okay. To this, Scott re reached out to his sister and uttered, You're okay, but I'm fucked. This was followed by a grin that had... Had Nicole in hysterics. Another comment which amused me was that just before dinner had arrived, I commented that I hoped he would get soup tonight, knowing that he is a soup lover from way back. He responded, he res his response, he tapped his chest and said, Me too. Late this afternoon, he took his first steps. In, uh, I mean, 
I mean shuffle in brackets. Scott was supported by his physiotherapist and shuffled from outside his room back to his bed. He is now eating well in brackets. Lasagna puree tonight. The good old puree food. Now we're on to page number 30. This is still continuing on that email. Another amusing comment made nearing the end of dinner for him was, it's cold. Forget Scott, we were glad that that it was cold simply because it prompted such a comment. In brackets, small things amuse small minds, I guess. But when we haven't heard him, him mutter a word for three and a half weeks, it's amazing what will tickle your fancy. I think that he is have I think that we have reached a point now where my reports are telling you about small events that are big in our minds but small in the overall journey. I have now decided that I will put back I will pull back on daily updates and provide you with more significant weeklies unless I hear from enough of you that still want to want me to keep still want to be kept informed on a more regular basis. I don't mind either way but don't wish to bore you with small events that are significant to us but small in the overall. I'll let you guys make that that call. Regards Harris family. Settling into Epworth rehabilitation wasn't a challenge for me because as far as I was concerned, I was only going to be there for a short time, a few weeks tops. This was the state of mind an injured brain could be in. At this point, I was completely oblivious to the impact my, my brain injury had on my family and friends and the impact it was going to have on the rest of my life. All I knew was that I wasn't at work and that I would be in hospital for the next few next few weeks. I was in a, in a room sleeping a lot and I was getting a lot of attention. The next few weeks came and went and I was still there. So maybe this was a little worse than I, than I first thought. And maybe it would be a bit longer until I would be back at work and into the on-site banter. Because I had endured broken bones and a beaten up body in the past from sporting injuries, I really felt no different. This was just another time that I hurt myself. This feeling was probably due to the high effective medication I was zoned out on each day. I was given the medication to relieve the pain and it it did exactly that. The thought running through my head was that I would be off work for the rest of the year. Being December, I expected to be back at work in the new year. When the weeks turned into months and then each month came and went, I couldn't comprehend why my body wasn't healing. Was this accident a bit more serious than I first realised? I eventually came to understand that it wasn't a matter of when I would return to work, but if. This wasn't exactly an exciting time for the family when they came to visit, as I was asleep most of the time. For the few hours I was awake, I had some light rehab sessions and some family time. Being summer, the weather was beautiful, but I only had one visit to the outside world before I was inside again. Being confined to my room for so long, I built up an image of the hospital in my head, and I was simply blown away by its sheer size, in brackets, so I'm told. 
The hospital isn't really that big, but when you have been spending day and night in one room the size of a luxurious dog kennel, the rest of the complex really did feel like a small city. His next email was on Saturday the 20th of December 2008. Hi all, Scott has a visit Scott had a visit today from his dog Zoe, which he really enjoyed. The rehab center gave a, gave the okay for Zoe to now visit on a regular basis. Scott was given a tour of the facility for the first time being taken around the center in a wheelchair. Having been confined to his room to date, he was surprised at the size of the the size and the facilities contained within. He was shown to the gym and told to expect to be introduced to it next week. He was shown the workshop and introduced to the instructor who told Scott that he was welcome debt down the track to come and get involved. He was shown a small kitchen where patients could go and do a bit of cooking in brackets all part of re- all part of the rehab program and he was then taken to the rooftop outdoor courtyard where he could go and enjoy the sun and also make use of the barbecue. Scott finally snapped out of his bored state of mind and marvelled at the extent of the facilities and the hospital's size. He met a couple of patients who were close to his age and had conversations with them. He now has a better understanding of where he is and the road ahead. He is progressing towards the end of PTA but still a little way to go. His doctor, doctors and physios are all pleased with his progress to date. He now has a small amount of movement in his right hand and fingers, plus elbow and shoulder. He is experiencing numbness in his arm. This is page 32, which we are told is, is a good sign. So we cross our fingers and hope that the next week brings similar progress to that of this week, this week one at Epworth. Regards, Harris family. Although I didn't understand why then, I wasn't allowed to visit from friends and extended family members. This was because I was in PTA and my brain was still trying to boot back up. If I had any chance of a system recovery, then any extra stimulation would cause a system crash and would need to be minimized. Post-traumatic amnesia is a state that everyone goes through after receiving a head injury and the length of time that you are in that state is a good indication of the severity of the damage that you've done to your brain. When it was time to move on to the next step in life, the occupational therapist came to do, the, do an evaluation on me. To show that I was beyond PTA, all I had to do was pass the evaluation, and it was then and only then that I could walk up the race with the rest of the team. In other words, I would be free to socialise. The evaluation consisted of easy questions such as what is my name, what is my age, where I live, the date and those sort of things. They appeared to be trick questions but when I look back on them now I realise how important it was to my health that I got them right. I needed to answer the same set of questions correctly three days in a row proving that my injured brain could form new memories and that was how I could continue to move on with my broken life. On the second day, the OT, in brackets, occupational therapist, 
Ask me one of those trick questions again. Scott, what's the date of Christmas? I had gotten wind that I may be out of PTA soon, so I knew that I had to get the get this one right. I put my thinking cap on tight, held my breath and said, 25th of December. Um, come on, Scott. You know this one, I thought. But I was tossing up between 1984 and 1985. Think, Scott, think. 25th of December, 1985. Yes, I remembered. Nailed it. Boom. Mum was holding back laughter for what her son had just said. But at the same time, she felt, but at the same time, she let out a sigh. Not of relief, but of disappointment. When she snapped back into reality, and was reminded of what this accident had done to me. This is page number 33. She tapped on my shoulder and said, That's good, Scott. Christmas is on the 25th, and indeed it is in December. But it's every year, not just 1985. I realised she was right, and I thought, Oh my God, how did I get that wrong? The answer was there in that thick skull of yours, and you said that. This was embarrassing, mostly because I let mum down. I was so angry with myself. The positive we took out of this was that, in fact, it was a good time because at least I could register that I got it wrong and I didn't, I didn't think, I don't get it. I swear Christmas is in 1985. Apparently an injured brain finds it hard to make new memories when experiencing PTA. So it, was, so it wasn't too long before I forgot the stupid answer I'd given and would start over. Christmas 2008 came around and I wasn't yet at a PTA, which meant that I could not enjoy the day with the rest of my tribe. Instead, I spent it with my dad in a dark room. The family in Melbourne were all hoping that I, I would make it, because I, but, because I, but because I couldn't, they gave me a phone call instead. So did my mum's side of the family in Queensland on the 25th of December 2008. This is an email Dad wrote on Christmas Day. Hi all, thanks for the calls at the hospital today. It made Scott feel a little special given he would have loved to be both at both Bruce's house and in Queensland. But in his words, shit happens. He commented, that was nice, followed by... I've got a lot of people to thank. Given the circumstances, I'm pretty sure he was pleased to have my company. Pretty cool, eh? Having your dad feed you and hold your pee bottle for Christmas Day. But hey, shit really does happen. I have got one thing to say in agreement with Scott. The hospital food is simply crap. In capital letters. Regards, Harris Family. This is page number 34. As it turned out, on Christmas Day, I passed the evaluation and was released from PTA. I was released from what felt like a well-meaning form of solitary confinement. Finally, I answered the same set of questions three days in a row. I could now have visitors. This email was on Thursday, the 1st of January, 2009. Hi all. On behalf of Scott, I would like to take this, take, the, take this opportunity to wish you all a very happy new year. Scott is progressing well 
and has now been given the go-ahead to have visitors. Given this is the, is the first step, we would like to take the, the take things gradually, i.e. two visitors at a time would be what we would like to see at this stage. To coordinate this to some extent, maybe you could give us a call so we can give you both some idea of a time that would suit. As he progresses over the coming weeks, the visiting regime will loosen up a little to allow small groups of friends to visit together. At the moment, he has become a little a little bored and would really appreciate visits from friends and family. Scott's speech is improving daily, but it is still a little slow. This is due to the numbness still around his face and his mouth that limits his ability to roll the tongue and he is still having some problems with the right with his right arm. He can move his fingers and shoulder, but between the two is problematic at the moment. We are told that his tricep is working, which control the opening of the arm. But at this stage, the bicep is not working. The bicep is the muscle that allows you to close your arm and is necessary to carry weight, etc. The doctors don't know at this stage what the outcome will be but continue to say that it is very early days and that movement is still a distinct possible outcome. Scott still still has double vision but the positive of this is that he can have twice as many visitors at the one time in brackets. Two of his old man at one time is stretching it though. All up the feedback we are getting from the nursing staff is that he is doing really well and that we should see good progress now that he has moved from moved beyond PTA and is able to do more rehab. These reports on Scott's progress to date detailed his condition from November the 15th until now, with something new happening almost daily. Further progress will continue, but at times it will be hard for me to detail significant changes and uh, as improvements will be, in most instances, slow. I will endeavour to highlight you when Deb and I see significant changes. For us, we see giant steps forward when we reflect on the past week slash weeks. P.S. In Scott's room, there is a visitor's book. We would appreciate it if you could record your visit with a comment of some sort in relation to your time spent with him. We would like to have this as a record for Scott to look back on and reflect on those who have joined on joined in on his journey and realize how far he has come since two, November the 15th 2008 for all visitors please be aware that his short term memory has been severely affected but is improving to help him ask him questions like who have you had visiting what did you have for lunch the nurses names what did you do in rehab today etc questions of similar kind will help in this area if you concentrate only on pre accident you will think that there is nothing wrong there is nothing much wrong because his long-term memory is okay. He will want to know about the accident and this is only natural. Try to refocus him on something else, but don't simply fob him off in the process. Perhaps you could say, if you know the details, what would that change moving forward? It won't change anything. If you know the details, what then? Or, you are getting better and that's all that matters. Regards, Harris family. From the moment my parents were told I had a brain injury, they began to research. They didn't realise how little they knew about the brain. In fact, 
how little anyone actually knows about the brain. For a long time, scientists have had the notion that the brain is fixed and unchanging. As time goes on and we, get, and, we, and we put the puzzle together, new science tells us that the brain does indeed change. That is called neuroplasticity. Vic picked up the book, The Brain That Changes Itself, by Norman Doidge, and couldn't put it down. It is about the phenomenon of neuroplasticity and how the brain, change, how the brain can change its natural formation and function when it was once thought to be static. It was thought that when, the, when a part of the brain dies, it's dead. But we now know through science that the brain will form new connections between neurons, in brackets, brain cells, when other parts are damaged or dead. This is page 36. The brain is like a supercomputer with no manual. It is very powerful, but we know very little about it. We humans are slowly but surely writing our own instruction manual on how we think it works. My family now had hope for my recovery. Not a full, full recovery, but at least partial. To help me along this path, the medical staff explained to my immediate family that when they visited, I should have a little stimulation. I should have little stimulation as possible to give my injured brain a chance to recover. And later, I, I needed positive stimulation. Knowing that people wanted to visit me, the staff told them that the right way to stimulate my brain was to ask me positive questions in a positive way that would make me think. Positive stimulation is good for anyone's brain, especially an injured brain. Knowing this, it, become a, it became a ritual to do a Sudoku puzzle with my dad. So a, a Sudoku is a number puzzle that generally comes in three levels, easy, medium, and difficult. Doing these puzzles together was fun. It kind of felt like dad was sitting down with his son to read him a bed, bedtime story, and in some way, it was. It really felt like I was a child again and I had to start from scratch. We started off easy. We started off with the easy ones with my dad looking over my shoulder and pointing at pointing to the boxes and basically giving me the answers in in a very discreet way. No, it's not 4. That was close. I'll give you a hint. It's between 5 and below 7. Having this help meant that I did not get these wrong, which gave me encouragement. Doing these puzzles became such a habit to me that in later years, on my own, without the dad's help. So that is it for chapter number three. And that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be going through chapter number four, which is learning to live again. So we're on page 37. Um, so chapter, chapter three saw me getting out of PTA. Now, I don't, as I mentioned in the book, I don't, my memory... Um, when I was in PTA was absolutely, absolutely cactus. I can't remember, really, I can't remember anything from that period of my, of my life. But with the help of dad's emails and, and videos that I've seen of my, of myself through that time and, and everything that everybody's told me about what's happened through that time, I've, I've got a quite a good picture of what happened through PTA. So that was why and how I was able to describe things in such such good detail. If you have any questions about uh, about what we've read so far or want to leave any comments, jump on my Facebook page, The Injured Brain, and you'll be able to send me a message. See you next week. 
So that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you do not miss an episode. Better still, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. See you in the next episode.